0: You're listening to an amazing podcast
1: from an amazing podcast company.
0: What's up, mob associates? Jimmy Naples, Johnny Ciccatelli, and we're back for another episode of Youngstown Mob Talk Live. Johnny, how are you doing this week? I'm
1: doing fantastic, Jim. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. So
1: our Youngstown Mob Group now, we're up to 30,400 members and that's, still growing. That's great, guys. That's, that's amazing. You know, Keep keep sharing it with your friends and your family. Um, we're going to keep growing and growing and, and getting this thing bigger. Let's jump right into it. Um,
0: so this week, uh, we have a post of the week this week. That's it, uh, yeah. And it's from John Paul. I'm sure many of you have seen it in there. And John goes on to say that uh, someone's grandfather on this page um, taught him a trick, and the trick was to get gun, gun residue off your hands, right? <laughs> uh, he said to wash your hands and face with automatic transmission fluid. No more gun residue. Uh, so pretty interesting, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, then, and next week he's going to follow up with Safe Cracking 101, so that should be interesting. <laughs> I like that he put someone's grandfather in this group. So then, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of have an idea who he was talking <laughs> about, but, you know uh john we want to thank you for that post um you know great post keep posting we love to see members posting things you know yeah safe
1: safe cracking 101 you know that, that'll be great we'll have to call amel you know see have him weigh in with some tips as well right and yeah maybe do a whole series on safe cracking we should <laughs> that may be kind of
0: interesting to see you know uh differences and similarities and how these guys uh apply
1: their trades right yeah now. maybe see how uh you know how, how do some of the Hollywood movies stack up? Are they realistic or, you know, what do they do? Right. You know, get those kind of things too. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely.
0: But uh, John, you know, like we said, thanks. Keep posting. Uh, he's posted quite a few things in the group. Uh, I believe yeah. there's even a picture of him cracking the safe safe in there. and <laughs> uh, He's got a picture of my grandfather's old Cadillac. Uh, for those of you from Youngstown, you probably remember my grandfather Jinx, as he was known. Uh, drove that blue Cadillac all over the place. I still remember that car. Love that car uh so he posted a picture of that so you'll see that in there but uh yeah thanks again john and to all the mob associates out there make sure you guys keep posting we love to see these uh posts that you put in here they bring back a lot of memories for a lot of people and so thank you we appreciate that
1: yeah absolutely and and you know that's what the group is for the the youngstown mob group on facebook that's what it's for right that's why we created the group that's why we're we're promoting it trying to get it to grow uh post your pictures post stories Um, you know, anything that you want to share about that era uh, of Youngstown's history. And, you know, I just wonder how, how big can it get? You know, how many members do you think we can get? You think, wouldn't it be great to have the same amount of people currently in Youngstown, you know, find out what the population is today and try to see if that's our goal, if we can't match that, you know? Right, absolutely.
0: Well, of course, then too, you got a lot, you know, I was looking the other day at some of the analytics that we have and, uh, we have a wide variety of ages. Um, we have people down in their teens all the way up into their 80s. Yeah. So, you know, we cover a broad, yeah. you know, broad age age group, and it's it's great. You yeah, know?
1: It, it's, you know, a lot of people who are from Youngstown who might have moved away, people who grew up here, uh, lifelong residents, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a great group. It really is. Um, you know, we try to you know, manage it as best we can. We get a lot of messages from people about different things, and, and we try to take care of uh, everything we can, you know, where, where applicable. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's it, it's a fun thing. So let's keep it going, and let's keep it growing, and uh, it'll be really fun.
0: Yeah. Uh, one other thing I wanted to point out real quick for our audience, um, you know, we have been having some issues on the Facebook app
1: yeah, those, I believe, are fixed. Are they? Are yeah, they? I, I, it, that wasn't just our app. That was Facebook uh, groups in general. Was it? Okay. Yeah, because I tried it out with some of the other groups, you know, the Cleveland Mob Group and other things, and it was kind of the same issue uh, with some bug with the app. But okay. I guess they're always and, – and if you if you look, there was a, last week in the news right around that same time, they had a big outage where okay. tons of people couldn't even access their Facebook. So, you know, Facebook is trying to get their, their stuff together, yeah. whatever. Um but we appreciate everybody, you know, sticking with it. And, uh, yeah, definitely, again, share it with your friends and family. So, Yeah. So,
0: Johnny, uh, let's talk about uh, Joe Saraki for a minute.
1: Yeah. Last week we did an investigative kind of dive into the cold case murder uh, of Joe Siracchi from 1963. Right. Uh, and we, we had a special guest with us, Frank Sarno on there. Yeah.
0: Frank, yeah. Frank was great. Uh, he had, you know, a lot of information. Um, and he really took his time doing his research. So, Frank, thanks again uh, for all your hard work and research that you put into that. We really appreciate it, and thanks for letting us uh, interview you and talk about
1: it. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things we discussed on there was, you know, for anyone who didn't see the episode, a real quick recap of that was that Joe Seracchi was a demolition expert in Youngstown, um, had a co-owner of a construction company who was found brutally murdered in 1963, in his car, uh, stabbed many times, and, um, you know, the case has gone unsolved at this point. Now, during the research, um, you know, speaking with a relative of, of Joe Siraki, uh, I was told that, you know, his father was original old-school black hand. Interesting. And, um, you know, and it's funny, in, in the comments section, actually, uh, of, our, of that post on, in our mob group, uh, there's an author... Um, I believe her name is Margaret Janko. She posted on there that, you know, that's... The way he died was very um, reminiscent of old black-hand killings. Yeah. Multiple stab wounds. Um, she mo- And she had cited some other things mo- as well. Most
0: of... From what I've read of, you know, the black-hand killings and things like that, most of their killings were pretty brutal. Um, yeah. It was, you know, a way to send a message, basically. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of...
1: Yeah, well, we, we have a guest coming up on Mob Talk today that uh, we're going to ask about that. He's kind of a, an expert in the subject of the black hand. Uh, so his name is Sean Posey. He's an author uh, in Youngstown. Um, he'll be coming up soon, right after this break, before we go uh, you know, do this interview with Sean. We want to thank our sponsors, of course.
0: This week's episode is brought to you by Youngstown Tile. For spectacular flooring, go bold, go local, go Youngstown Tile. And by River Rock at the Amp, Saturdays in the summertime, there's no other place to be than at the Amp and Warren. And before you go, stop by the Sunrise Inn for the best food in Warren. Welcome back, Mob Associates. We're back here with Sean Posey. Sean, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Special special
1: guest here and, uh, you know, author uh, several times over, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, You know, tell the folks, uh, you know, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Well, if people don't know who I am –
2: you know, I'm I'm known around here for being a, a local historian. So I wrote a, a what I call like my Mahoning Valley trilogy, three books about Mahoning Valley history. Um, Lost Youngstown, which is the first book, which is like an urban history of of just the city. And I used some material that I, I didn't include in that book to uh, do the what became the second book, which was uh, historic theaters of Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley. So that's like the history of motion picture theaters from like Nickelodeon's to the modern day as told through the Mahoning Valley. So, you know, and there's a lot there, like the Warner brothers, people probably know, you know, they Mm -hmm. got their start in the industry here. Probably most people know that, but there's, there's, you know, a lot more to it than that. And then, um, you know, I, I didn't actually plan on writing a third book. And when the pandemic happened, Uh, Of course, don't need to remind people what that was like. All of a sudden, you had a lot more time on your hands. I I took a bunch of stuff that I had and kind of made an anthology about, um, it's called The Hidden History of of Youngstown and the Mahoning Valley. So there's a lot of, like, labor history in there. I talk about, like, some of the important national strikes that took place in this area that are, you know, Outside of living memory, yeah. uh, the Spanish flu in the Mahoney Valley in Ohio, mm-hmm. which was really timely, of course, maybe mm-hmm. too timely. So, mm-hmm.
1: so yeah, that's... Um, there, there's so much uh, parallel, you know, with, with what we just went through and and the Spanish flu and Youngstown. If, if you go back and, and read that book, read any of the research and all that, it's very, you know, the, the par- very parallel kind of history to what we just went through. So definitely uh, valuable to check out. Yeah, it was eerie. Um and I've
2: been, you know, interested in and in done research on my own for a long time uh, in, you know, organized crime history in the area. I mean, I was always, when I was a kid, I was very interested in, in organized crime history in general. And I've got a, you know, a whole probably like you do a whole library stuffed with yeah. books. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it's kind of natural if you're from Youngstown mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah. to have at least a passing interest in it and yeah. – you know my my family's history kind of intersects with that too if you if we, you know we can yeah, talk about, about that tell us about that um it's a kind of an interesting story so um my father uh who is a chemist was a chemist most of his life in you know from from this area in the 70s you know, he went to YSU and um he got out and he started working as a forensic chemist so and it was a good time to do it because Probably something most people don't think about is that modern policing is really modern, like as in only like the span yeah. of our lifetime is yeah. old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. policing before that is if you would go <laughs> back and look, we'd be appalled at like what passed for policing. Yeah. And some of it was because of, you know, lack of training and then just technology that didn't exist. Uh, but when Johnson was president, um, you know, they passed an act that gave, uh, I think it was like an omnibus crime bill that gave all this money to fund modernization of police forces, Mm -hmm. crime labs, all of this stuff, you know, make policing modern. And, of course, it made sense at the time because the late 60s, the crime rate, especially the murder rate, anybody who's a certain age will remember, you know, starts rising. And and it stays that way all the way until, like, the 90s, so a long time. And um, so my father, I don't think he really maybe intended to do this, he— started working as kind of a a crime lab technician and um you know here in the valley e-data if anybody remember remembers Mm e-data i think it's standard for like eastgate development they were like an organization that you know got government money and fun they started uh something here called the uh eastern ohio uh, forensic lab okay and it was located at youngstown state university my dad worked there, and they, they got this grant money to start and it. it was, like, fully funded for, like, I think three or four years. This would have been, like, in 74, 75. And at the time, most of the Valley uh, police forces were sending their crime evidence all the way up to Richfield. Okay. Mm-hmm which was problematic for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, crimes didn't get solved in a timely manner. Uh, Drugs were becoming a big deal. So all of a sudden it was like, why doesn't the Valley have like a professional lab where we can do all this stuff here and not have to rely on Richfield? So he was working there and they were doing a lot of interesting stuff. Um, You know, the lab there was one of the first in the state or even in this part of the country to, to start analyzing rape kits. Yeah. You know so before that you know women got raped it was a lot of he said she said whatever but when rape kits came out all of a sudden it was yeah, like you know women get sexually assaulted you, you go to the hospital you you know yeah. do all that and then try to solve the cases and yeah. but but what they immediately ran into was that as we mentioned earlier there was a lot of distrust uh among the police forces in the yeah. valley yeah. so like you know ypd and Boardman, and then of course the sheriff's department and there were all these issues and they didn't share information um you know there were cases that were in and this is a big deal obviously for organized crime which didn't just operate in one area it operated right. all throughout the yeah. valley and you yeah. had to put yeah. pieces together and you know as time went by uh some police departments like the boardman police department was really supportive of the crime lab and the idea was when the grant money went out that the money from the local police forces using the lab would keep it funded but youngstown was like dead did not want to use the lab this was like a big (laughs) deal they had their own guy that they were using to do testing who was like a veterinarian Okay, and it was it was very suspicious, and you know, my dad, I don't think he really un- he didn't understand fully get the, the organized crime penetration of the area, and you know, some of the sure. the dynamics mm-hmm. that were were going on there, and so as time goes on, Youngstown doesn't really want to use the lab. Then they start using it. Some of the other police forces, like Camel, of course, everybody knows about you know the situation mm-hmm. with that police force uh doesn't want to use it and then it really all breaks down when J. Philip Richley comes into office. If you remember mm-hmm. Philip Richley, Richley who I think had been like the Mahoney County engineer. Sure. Okay. So like when they built 680 and everything, you know, Richley was involved in that and he was uh close with the Cafaro family. Okay. And in fact he in fact I think he had actually worked with the Cafaro company. Yeah. And he becomes uh the mayor and the police chief he appoints uh, this guy by the name of Stanley Peterson. As Stanley the, Peterson <laughs> as yeah. the yeah. police chief of Youngstown, and this is kind of where all the issues surrounding the crime lab and what my father was trying to do come out in the open. Yeah. And you know, as you know, P- Stanley Peterson, if people don't know the name, what had been an FBI agent
1: for many years yeah. in Youngstown. Yeah,
2: yeah. and I'm, I, you probably know more about this than I do. If you want to talk about, my, <laughs> yeah. you know, so yeah, how he became an FBI agent and then later. The police chief, yeah,
1: St- Stanley Peterson. We, we've talked a little bit about him in Mob Talk before, yeah. uh, but you know, to recap, there, Stanley Peterson was uh, when the FBI came to Youngstown, really after kind of the Cavalero bombings and all those bombings in the '60s. Uh, he was one of those agents that came to Youngstown, um, you know, to, to really kind of put boots on the ground for the for the bureau. And I believe he was, you know, ha- had some ties to Ravenna. Uh, before that, so he wasn't—he knew the area a little bit, um, but he becomes an agent and works for for decades, but has kind of a black cloud over his head uh, with a reputation that he might be corrupt. Um, you know, corrupted by certain organized crime members. Uh, I've actually, you know, have I've done a FOIA request on Stanley Peterson and got a lot of his information uh, throughout the 1960s. Uh, he, he was, you know, working cases. At one point, he actually has an informant who gets offered uh, induction into one of the local crime families. And the guy doesn't want to do it. He says to Peterson, um, I don't trust those guys. My brother's involved with them, but I'm not. Uh, my two brothers, his brothers, plural, are involved. Um, and that he didn't really want to do it. And so... Uh, through this FOIA request of Stanley Peterson, we see letters from J. Edgar Hoover, um, you know, after after Peterson submitted this report that he had this potential informant who was offered induction. Um, Hoover tells Peterson, you're doing great work, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, uh, uh, you know, keep it up and continue your persuasion on him, your pers- persuasion tactics on this person. And if induction becomes offered again at some point in the future, Try to tell this guy to take it to, to go. Mm-hmm. Well, sure enough, within about a year or two, uh, it comes up again, and he convinces him to to accept the offer, and um, then this guy tells Peterson all about how he was made in a basement in Camel by uh, 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 in, in Romeo's basement. Yeah, in in Camel. Right. So you know these, these files are out there. Uh, you can actually find some of those. You know that 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 story told through some of those files, the FBI files on Mary Farrell, uh, her web that website, um, but yeah, it, it's pretty insane that you know he ended up getting Peterson gets a couple hundred dollar bonus for his efforts, uh, check from the FBI and Hoover, and you know that's I, I kind of laugh at that is, you know that's, that was what he got for uh, you know at that point I would imagine one of the first informants in a crime family. Yeah, you ever think, recorded. like,
2: massive promotion or, or... Yeah.
1: Well, he ends up staying in Youngstown and kind of becoming... Uh, I don't know if he ever becomes the 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 senior agent in charge of the office. But, you know, I, I spoke with another FBI agent, a former colleague of his uh, from the 1960s, who told me that even back then, his fellow agents never fully trusted Stan Peterson. Um, they just, you know, something about him, they, they didn't trust him. Well, years later um there is and this is all told through senate testimony uh Mm -hmm. by members of the citizens league Mm -hmm. of youngstown uh they they talk about how stanley peterson was basically caught you know with some members of organized crime uh going to going to standard motors um associating with the colates um and joey naples crew and, and those guys out of standard motors And, uh, you know, it was very suspect, right, why he would have any dealings with these guys. And and so other law enforcement agencies and members um, distrusted Stanley Peterson. And they, you know, the rumor kind of got out there that the FBI was on the take from these guys. Well, you know, it's our belief that uh, that informant that took the offer in 1964 was Joseph Calotti, the owner of Standard Motors. Um, You know, that's what just through research that's our that's our our theory on mm-hmm. that and um because it just makes sense that he ends up kind of palling around with him later um and those guys at standard motors but anyways well it it's funny that you say that because i've
0: been looking through some of the old vindicators on you know through google newspapers and i found where they talked about um vic Colotti being an informant as Late is like eighty five, eighty six.
1: Well, it's it's really funny in the in the files that are out there, those FBI files <clears throat> through Mary Farrell and through these other sites. There are informants that talk to the FBI. Uh, most of them, their names are redacted. Vic Calotti's name is not redacted. He is uh, he's, he spoke with them several times is quoted and for some reason his name is not redacted Yeah, in numerous so,
0: numerous different files.
1: Yeah, you know. Vic Claudy was a made member, you know, yeah. and, and uh whatever boy becomes of him. Well, he ends up I believe he died of natural causes, yeah, he Vic Claudy. Yeah, there he, was there was a rumor that that Jimmy Prado had a contract on him and yeah. around the time of the the Paul Pieter shooting the greenhouse shooting in Youngstown yeah. where a few Youngstown mob associates were arrested by Bob Croner and the FBI in a robbery gone wrong. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the FBI said that the reason they were following these guys, they, they thought that night they were going to kill Vic Colati because on orders of Jimmy Prado. Now, that never happened. Uh, and whether or not there was ever a contract on Vic Colati uh, is never proven at all. So, you know, whether the FBI... Set bad information there or, or that's just what they're saying um yeah that was just a rumor but i believe he died of natural causes um yeah he did and, Interesting. and
0: i used to matter of fact um after after my uncle joey got killed in 91 um i was working for my my uncle on my mother's side at his office furniture place Vic used to come down there all the time hey he used to come down there strollo he'd come down on saturday mornings and they'd drink whiskey at 10 o'clock in the morning and
1: well, so going back to this, he was they were associated with Stanley Peterson, who at the time was an FBI agent. Now word gets back to the FBI through uh, I believe it was an operation um, uh, by some other law enforcement uh, members in in town who kind of took it upon themselves to expose him, and they bring what they have to um, you know the 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 citizens League of Youngstown. this is actually later that uh he becomes chief of police. Stanley Peterson, mm-hmm. chief of police. We'll get to that in a second. Again, but he's kind of exposed that there's rumors that he's associated with organized crime. So Stanley Peterson, after you know 20 years of being in Youngstown, or, or, or you know 50, close to 20 years, uh, gets transferred out of Youngstown suddenly to a place down south. He ends up retiring, and not long after that, comes back to town and is named by Richley, the chief of police now uh you know i i'd spoken to a candidate for mayor who who was going to run against Richley, and rich uh, this candidate i'll I'll, I'll leave him unnamed but he told me that organized crime members associates uh, offered him a large sum of money to fund his campaign with the promise that he would name stanley peterson chief of police
2: you know that makes a lot of sense because he's Long dead now, but in the 70s, uh, if you remember Jack Hunter, he was the last Republican mayor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, he said later that when he ran, he was approached and offered money. And the the big caveat was Stanley, the same thing, Stanley Peterson should yeah. be, you know, chief of police. And, and you know, he you know, he didn't take the money or anything. And I think Hunter yeah. was a clean one.
1: Well, he's also, Peterson's also implicated by Jim Trafficking in the early eighties when trafficking gets in trouble himself and is indicted and going on trial before the trial begins, he mentions Peterson and starts naming Mm. Peterson and saying, well, I couldn't trust the Youngstown police and look, you know, he's on the take. And as soon as he mentions Peterson, as soon as this happens, Peterson resigns from the Youngstown police department. He doesn't cite that as his resignation, but that, you know, it's, it's, his time has come and, and whatever. Uh, so, yeah, he was just always under a cloud of suspicion. And even later, when Trafficking again gets in trouble as a congressman in 2000, he then brings up Peterson again. Right
2: on the House floor.
1: Not only on the House floor, right. he does it with Ted Koppel on, oh, right, on air. Yeah. Uh, and he says to Ted Koppel that, you know, I'm, I'm taking a risk here because I'm not on, I'm not protected by the House floor so he can uh-huh. sue me. For defamation. Was, was Peterson still alive? Peterson was still alive. Okay, I
2: thought maybe... And he here's
1: did. where it gets great. So, so, trafficking goes on the House floor and openly says, you know, Peterson was in Youngstown during this time, you know, the FBI agent turned chief of police was su- suspected and, and, and accused of, you know, being on the mob's payroll. And he says that on on the House floor. Well, my belief, and obviously the reason it was dismissed mostly by by people at the time, was that trafficking was only saying these things to divert oh. you know, guilt mm-hmm. from or or at least to show that uh, Youngstown was a crooked place. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm not so bad, you know, and, and that kind of thing. So his accusations at the time, no one really dove into it. Nobody really investigated that. It was just like, oh okay, you know, whatever. Uh, that's just Jim kind of diverting attention. And he'd done that before, like I said, in the nineteen eighties with, with Peterson. So years later, after Jim goes to prison um, Stan Peterson passes away and another s- congressman from, I believe in Iowa, where he, where he lived at the time, Peterson, stands on the house floor and gives a great eulogy of this guy in, in, in response to trafficants, uh, um, uh, speech. Where was this What state was this? from Iowa but they, oh, they, he did uh, but he but he did this on the house floor uh, this is on the public in the in the congressional record so that his name is not besmirched in the record that it's been you know a, and it's kind of in, in the the congressman I can't remember the congressman's name who gave the speech but he he mentions trafficker as you know a former member now incarcerated you mm-hmm. know kind of right. spinning Disgrace it yeah so Congress, it's this right. back and forth that, that goes on on the on the, the congressional floor you know, of Youngstown's Dirty Laundry, <laughs> basically. It's, it's insane. It yeah, really that's, is.
2: you know, that's one Because when you think about the first time he mentions it, I think people think that, oh, after all the anti-corruption trials in the late 80s and the 2000s, everything's cleared up. You know, we know everything. All the, all the bad guys got punished. But there's people who, who, who skated, for oh, sure. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, why wasn't Stanley Peterson? Why didn't he come up? in any of this stuff. Or even, you know, other stuff. Like, why didn't we find out who killed Joey Naples? Yeah. well You know, people still miss that one. I mean, maybe because people are like, well, he was in mob street and killed. But, like, how come we didn't get closure on that? That was There was all kinds of things, if you look under the surface, or other public officials who we almost
1: certainly know were involved but never were tried for anything. Yes. To put a button on Peterson, though, I'll just say this. The Citizens League of Youngstown, James Callen mm. and his group, they did a lot in the 80s, the early 80s there, the mid-80s, uh, to try to expose Peterson and bring him down at that point. And he had already retired, you know, uh, um, from the Youngstown Police Department. But, you know, at that time, they had, they had collected so much information. They it, This is all part of uh, the Senate testimony that they did. So it's it's out there. You can read it if you ever – uh, want to do the research yourself? You can find um, all that Senate testimony from the Youngstown Cis- the Citizens League. Of I think Youngstown. it's like
2: the 1984, yes. you know, Great Lakes hearing on organized crime. Yeah, and as you said,
1: there's like reams of stuff
2: there. It's all it's right it's on all, the internet. It's all yeah, it's
1: it's all out there. Um, it's a little hard to find these days, but it's all out there. You know, you just got to know what to look for. Um, but yeah, so you know that I just want to commend you know the Citizens League and what they did back in 1984 to kind of expose that and talking to some of those folks, um, uh, you know, I ended up kind of unearthing this stuff, you know, for myself and saying, wow, there's so much there. Um, But, you know, again, Jim Callen and and his team just did such a great job. Uh, But it was never really followed up on, you know, no investigations came and, you know, it is what it is.
2: Right, and it wasn't until years and years later that any of this stuff was brought to trial. Or, yeah. You know, it, I mean, it, and it, yeah. as you mentioned, not all of it was. But what's interesting about that, that the Callan thing and the testimony is all that, I was looking at that not long ago, and you know, I, I noted it here. What's weird about the FBI and Peterson is that FBI affidavits were submitted at the time, that said that in their opinion, J. Philip Richley and then George Vukovich, who was the, the, his successor, both were told to appoint Stanley Peterson. You know, yeah. so a, you know, who told them to do that, and right. you know, b, how come you know we never you, nothing is ever really investigated, like you know about Phil, uh, Richley and Vukovich. Well, Richley, because the so, FBI yeah. basically said they were you know mob bears.
1: <laughs> well, from what I was told, Richley was actually a pretty straight guy. And he didn't know as much as to say when they give him a list, they gave him a paper that says Stanley Peterson, name him as your as your chief of police. This is a well-respected FBI former FBI agent in town. He's got, you know, Peterson had a a clean name. And so what I was told was that Richley went along with this uh, because, you know, he didn't know any better. He he thought that Peterson was on the up and up. And that once he realized what the situation was, he got out as quick as he could because he only goes for one term, mm-hmm. does not run again for reelection so by all accounts, I was told that richly you know it wasn't so much mob controlled as much as mob manipulated maybe interesting so you know and i can't I can't say anything for any mayors to come after, but uh you know vukovich did also have some association with Vic Collati in in a situation with the uh the low-income housing that they were trying to build and, and the, that's a whole story for another episode yeah i mean i should
2: say too that that i don't know for sure and probably nobody living did but you know according to the testimonies the fbi at least was willing to go out and say that peterson and vukovich did we're, this on mob orders sure. which is a lot for them to say because you know yeah. that's yeah. You're, you're basically pointing the finger at a, yeah. a former public officials and this was very recent history yeah. but as you mentioned it richly you know only runs for one term and then he dies young yeah uh, I can't remember. I think he died in like 90 or something so real but, quick, uh, I'm sorry will, maybe well, I'll just, just finish the story yeah, we, yeah. we got up talking about Peterson so you know the end of of the the forensic lab at YSU goes down because of lack of support from enough police departments especially and the, the last year that it's there um, You know my father had some 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 run-ins with stanley peterson but uh the sixth ward councilman robert spencer at the time was was a supporter of of the lab and thought it was a great idea and he had a really public confrontation with peterson when they were talking about peterson and Richley said well we don't really want to use the lab we just don't you know yada yada we want to start our own lab and uh Spencer confronts Petersons about this, and there's a big public blow up, and it's in the vindicator. And after that, uh, Spencer's car is firebombed.
1: Sure is. Yeah. So
2: it's like yeah. you know, there's another connection, and you know, I I don't know what becomes of, of Spencer after that, but it's he, obviously yeah. you know th- there's a message being sent.
1: Yeah, he he I believe he worked uh, for one of the schools, and and then eventually he goes to uh, move to Florida. Bob Spencer did. But um and I believe he's still alive. Oh. So if you're watching Bob, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you. yeah. Uh, yeah, oh boy. There's, yeah, there, yeah. There, there's footage out there from uh I wanna say twenty twenty we have on our on our YouTube page that is um there's interviews with Bob Spencer and his wife and now they're terrified and you know, they put up bulletproof windows in their house because of the death threats. What year was this? Uh, uh, this would have been what year was it, seventy, 80, maybe say, 80, uh, eighty. Okay, late seventies, early
0: eighties. Yeah, so it's, long a long great, it's a great, it's a great
1: piece. It's on, it, it's on our uh, our YouTube page, youtube.com slash amazing podcast company. Check it out and subscribe, guys. We really appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so you know, also on our, our YouTube page, you'll find our episode from last week where we we talked with a great researcher named Frank Sarna. Um, about this murder of Joseph Siraki. And, you know, we, we've come to learn that Joe, Joe Siraki in 1963 was killed, but his father was a member of the Black Hand. Uh, tell us a little bit. We, we know you have a lot of research in the Black Hand. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, I've been.
2: It's, it's a terribly hard thing to research. I mean, all of this is, but, you know, uh, especially so the, the Black Hand. There's a couple of, um, of good books about the Ohio Black Hand, which um, a lot of this came out of Marion, Ohio, and they called it the Society of the Banana. Uh, and the idea was that a lot of Sicilian fruit peddlers were involved with this. Yeah. And and the Black Hand, what's weird about the, the Black Hand, if you go back into the 19th century and the 20th century, if, if you read whatever reporting is about it, you know, they use terms like black hand and mafia very interchangeably when you know, like, you're like, you know, this is... Like, the mafia as we would think of it doesn't exist. I mean, there's a Sicilian mafia and there's elements coming over here, but, you know, and they they use these different terms back and, and forth. But, you know, probably the... The best evidence we have is, um, you know, there there are some good books, especially uh, on Ohio and Pennsylvania, which, which had a lot of black hand activity. So people, when they think about it, they might think about like New York City or New Orleans. No, Western famously, Western Western PA.
1: Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's you know, and you can you can go on um, if you go on Google Books and mm-hmm. put it in there. There are some some books that about the black hand that reference that, but you know, apparently. You know, what we know about it is, you know, some people are like, oh, it was very loosely organized. Uh, But from evidence we have, you know, they had training schools even Mm -hmm. uh, active in the Youngstown area and the the Sharon Western PA area where they were like, you know, you were like an apprentice criminal. And they even used like later mob terms like capo and, you know, things Mm -hmm. that people would later hear of in uh, uh, La Cosa Nostra. But you know, this is going on way before
1: this. Do, where specifically were they from? Uh, the both, bl- where, uh, where does the black hand originate from? In, from Italy, is it Sicily? Yeah, or, you know? yeah, it's a, it's
2: a Sicilian thing, from from what we know. You know, very much like you know, with with um, the the mob too, and. Um, well, the mob in
1: Youngstown is such an interesting thing because there's so many guys who were not Sicilian. It's very different. They, they were, you know, Calabrese, and and and, and yeah, it, it's there, there's that that's another episode as well that there, there's a whole oh, yeah, history maybe. of the of of the non-sicilian guys you know the the naples weren't sicilian yeah. right. right you know there there was many of these guys um, um uh, malamo wasn't yeah. sicilian um so you know it's very interesting the different organizations it all becomes one structured thing by you know uh the middle of last century you know the the term mafia you know you do think sicilian mob but there were guys who weren't Sicilian in there, you know. There yeah, were, it becomes eventually just you know Italian, um, and and even by the by today's standard, I believe you have to be, you know, uh, pretty much half Italian on right. your dad's side. You yeah. have to be able to prove it. It's almost right. like the the same way you get your citizen, your dual citizenship these yeah. days. But uh, it, yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a good point. So when the
2: black hand is active, you know the the Sicilian thing is big, and this goes up until. You know, the big split with that is, uh, if people are familiar with the uh, Casta War, yep. um, and you have this older generation of Sicilians who, um, the younger generation called the Mustache Peeps, oh, is yeah. like a, a, it's supposed to be an insulting term, <laughs> who were, you know, oh, this is just a Sicilian thing and we only deal with Sicilians and only Sicilians can be member, But then younger guys... Who are going to start the modern mob? Like especially like Lucky Luciano, they're yeah. running with even guys who aren't Italian at all, like Meyer Lansky yeah. and Bugsy Siegel. Who are going to become they were Jewish guys?
1: Yeah, they were willing to open it up more in their associations. Yeah.
2: yeah, right, right. So that so when we get the Cosa Nostra, the idea is is that you know to be a formal member, Italian,
1: yeah,
2: but not.
1: Right. sicilian you
2: know that yeah. that's not an yeah. emphasis and then there are plenty of guys in a lot of the you know in new york but even like the chicago family mm-hmm. there are very high up guys like murray the camel humphreys who was like a fixer um what was the other guy's name um, you, guys very high up in the outfit sure. you know, the chicago mob who were not Italian at all. Yeah, I mean they well, weren't main yeah. guys, but they were very important guys Cle- in the organization. Cle- Cleveland,
1: Cleveland as well. You know your Mo Dalitz who then oh, goes right. out to Las Vegas. You know, it, you know, he was Jewish and and was very high up within that organization. So
0: yeah, it is, and, and if you kind of follow it, if you look at the way it went from the Black Hand to the Mafia, the Cosa Nostra here in the states, right? It was almost the same thing in Italy, because if you look in Italy, you have you know, you have your Sicilian Mafia, and then you have three or four other groups on the mainland yeah. that are all different factions, yeah. right? Um, my family would be probably, if I would have to guess, would be more closely related to the uh, mm-hmm. Um and they've been quite in the news lately. They've yeah. been—they're still active. they are still
1: yeah. they are still active. There's still guys out there that are getting caught after being on the run for twenty years. They're, they're actually—I yeah. think
0: from from the one article that I read. Um, a couple couple people in law enforcement said that they're actually the most powerful mafia group in the world right now. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, there's also a great book, Gomorrah, you know, Gamora by uh, uh, Roberto Salviano. It's a great, you know, uh, a book about the current situation in Italy and all that, but, you know, it, it, there's the black hand definitely in this country was a precursor to what became the mob, The mafia. Right,
2: and extraordinarily violent.
1: Yeah, yes. And, you know,
2: some of the best the things that people will cite that we, you know, evidence we have with the letters that they would send to people, you mm-hmm. know, the extortion letters. And, you know, they would back back it up, too. And there's, you know, I've found some, some good stuff um, from uh, newspapers in Western PA and The Vindicator from the early 20th century about people that were found, like, with... The murder swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who were horribly mutilated and all of it yes. was... You know, thought to have been blackhand. Yeah,
1: left. we we produced the show. Uh, one of our, our our other podcasts we do called uh, The Vice Squad Pod. The Vice Squad Podcast uh, is on YouTube right now. We do with Rick Perello and Vince Guerrero. Mm-hmm. And we did an entire episode on uh, the torso killings, the torso murders yeah, out right. of Cleveland. And at the time, so there was this serial killer in Cleveland from uh, believed to be in the Cleveland area. But he was killing along the rail lines. And went through this area. From, from Cleveland to Youngstown, Newcastle, you know, to, to uh, um, Pittsburgh. And there were, at the same time, these, there were these black hand killings. Because this, the, the torso murders started in the 20s. They ended up going all the way to the 40s. But um, the, the black hand killings at the same time in the 20s there, they were finding so many corpses in western PA uh, like you said, just violently killed um, that, that were turning up. They called this area the Murder Swamp. Uh, I believe it's near Newcastle.
2: Yeah, um. yes, yes. Yeah, the Newcastle
1: area was apparently
2: <laughs> – and this is apparently where this. they thought that this school was, you know, yeah. for like would-be black handers. <laughs> yeah, well, so, yeah,
1: and and the torso killings at the time, they believed, you know, they, they were only able to pinpoint a few and say, okay, we believe these were torso killings. The other ones were all black hand. And, and you know, just because they didn't fit the same – uh, Mo, and but, they never find the torso murderer, so they never. can't, you know, right.
2: they can't say for certain. And what's yeah. interesting about all that too, coming back to the the mob, is that. Um, you know, Elliot Ness, who, who later becomes the mayor of Cleveland. And, you know, there's that, if people remember that. I'm sorry, not the mayor, but he. Uh, the public safety director. Public, public safety director, right. If, if I don't know how many, probably a lot of people don't know that everybody thinks of Elliot Ness now as just the untouchable. Right? Yeah, yeah, that
1: like. Yeah, yeah. check out check out the Vice on. Squad, guys. We, we do a whole episode on that. Uh, the torso killings, we would dive into Elliot Ness, and uh, it's a great episode. So check that out. That's on our YouTube um, if you want to learn more about that part of it but what fascinates me is what we're talking about this school you know it's almost reminiscent of uh you know modern day there's like these these you know it was the al-qaeda terror schools oh yeah 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 yes right so they would they would basically have you know school of terrorism in a way where where they bring these people here and or you train them you know and how to extort and how to
0: how to terrorize people yeah basically i mean you know, I, I've, I've read some of those uh, newspaper articles where, you know, you people report something and, you know, it's a letter from the black hand and they post it in the paper and you sit there and read it and you're like, Jesus, you know. Yeah. There's yeah imagine, imagine getting a letter like that. L- like that back <laughs> like in, back back in those days, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nowadays it's a little bit more believable with and everything that goes on in they, society. But,
1: correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of the, the end of the black hand era in this area uh, coincided with the murder of a... Uh, was it a uh, some public official in Western PA, right? Yeah, I think you're right. A game um, warden, maybe, or somebody. Yes,
2: uh, and it was it was a weird situation. The guy was like killed, like in a spur of the moment fracas by some uh, black hand guys. It wasn't even like you know they were out to extort this guy. They just no. like uh, something happened. And they I, I, got into an
0: incident with him. I think it was and he they shot the dog. They were walking a dog. And I th- think you're and right. And the game warden shot the dog, and the dog was shot the be- wrong dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the dog belonged to the. It's like owner. John
1: Wick of the Black Hand. Yeah, yeah. the dog's <laughs> owner
0: was like the boss of the Black Hand. Yeah, and they killed the guy like right there. And, yeah,
2: yeah, it's a biz- it's it's a bizarre story, and I think too, you know, they you know historians I think think too that the Black Hand goes out. Or starts to go out with prohibition, so you know you're making money, extorting people, or doing all these things. But like obviously in the twenties, up through the the early thirties, the big money is going to be in prohibition. Mm-hmm. I mean, insane money, and of course that's, you know, or the organized crime families get yeah. get their fuel from. So then yeah. you know you you see that era kind of disappear and the modern mob come in, and then people forget about the black hand or misremember it or yeah. inter- use it interchangeably, oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah, the, these black hand guys and the mob guys were the same guys, but they weren't, you know. it was yeah, the yeah. Ter- You know, both from the, the old world, but, you know, different generations. I know mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, a lot of
0: the mob guys didn't like the black hand guys because they would even extort their own. Fellow Italians. You know, fellow Italians, and I it, think that was yeah. part of... It was part of that switchover too, right? You know,
1: you know, uh, it's kind of famously portrayed in God, *The Godfather Part 2. Oh and, yeah. You know, with with Don Fenucci, right? Yeah. And, and how he tries to extort uh, Vito Corleone and, and and his associates, and uh, that's they kind of that was a great portrayal, you know, fictional portrayal of of the changing of the guard, you know, and how and how those guys were that wasn't going to fly with the next generation, kind of what we were talking about. They just killed him with Lucky, with Lucky <laughs> Luciano and those guys, yeah. So. Yeah. yeah lucky
2: luigiano you know and those of his generation were 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 much more forward thinking and understood that you know organized crime could become a big business and that killing people was uh, something you didn't want to do unless you had to do it especially like you know disemboweling people and throwing yeah, them yeah. like that I mean, it was those the, were very that was all a selective stuff yeah i mean there, I mean, there and there are big mob wars in the 20s sure. but that's more of like a necessary thing right. for them to consolidate their power. But they were, I think, probably, obviously, much more sophisticated than the black hand guys. Yeah. And, and yeah. much, much more
1: forward thinking. I think, I think more about business than than so, you know, personal kind of gr- – the, the, especially in the way they, they killed, you know, and those many things. Like we talked about black hand murders were very brutal, very brutal killings, which brings me back to the Joe Siraki case – um, you know, it was interesting that someone posted, and I believe she's a, a fellow author, posted in the comments of our mob group when, when we put that video out there that the way he was killed was very reminiscent of black hand killings. And the uh, Soraki's daughter told us that his father was an old school black hander. And so it was very interesting stuff there. I mean, it's, you know, it, this would have been the early 60s. So, you know.
2: Yeah, way. Well, I mean, yeah, you have... Well, you have to wonder, like, what was the the dynamics behind that? Because that's long after, you know. Is it somebody with an old, old grudge?
1: Then, well, this are... guy, this guy, Siraki, uh the Vindicator, quoted a, a source of saying that he had a million enemies. So, could have been, you know, you, Youngstown, especially in that town, in that time, in the crime town era, was uh, not a good place to have a million enemies.
2: Yeah. No, no, and you know all of this the the black hand stuff even until really up until at least the '60s and you know certainly the '70s and '80s a lot of Youngstown crime history organized crime history is difficult to decipher yeah yeah because there's so much going on because in the '30s yeah. you know there's not like just Italians you know you've got like Croatians and all these other people involved mm-hmm. in the gambling in the bug, business yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and
1: it's the Greeks especially. Oh my gosh!
2: Yeah, and um, you know now looking back on it, uh, you know a lot of this is in um, uh, what's the guy's name? It did Crime Time? Alan May. Alan May. Good May's friend of book. ours. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he did a good job putting that together, but it's it's, hard. it's so much. The book yeah. is this
1: thick, guys. If you if you if you get a chance, it's uh, he accounts for everything, so it, it's all in there and. You know it's a it's a thick read and it's you know we love Alan and the research that he put into that I've known him for a long time Um, great guy and um, you know you know wishing you uh, you know speedy recovery be on the mend Alan we're thinking about you we we hope to get you on a mob talk coming up soon as well so
0: yeah I know I I posted uh, we I started a general chat in the Youngstown mob group and people were talking about different things and I posted uh, our flyer for those shows. And for, of course, one of the first things people mentioned was Blackie Gennaro from Hillsville. There you um, go. So, oh, I'm sh- so oh, okay. I'm sure you you may get some questions when you come out and talk about the Black Hand. I'm sure you're going to get some questions about Blackie. And, oh, that makes sense. And, uh, and all that over there. He's got street named there- after him and a few other things
1: over there. So nice. Well, that'll be that'll be very interesting. Um, before we get out of here, let's talk a real, uh, little bit about your your work. Where can people find your Youngstown trilogy? And where, where's that available at? You know,
2: eh, all the usual suspects online, so Amazon and Barnes and Noble, and pretty much any other place,
1: uh, and a lot of places in town. So you can find you can find his books in a lot of places, like he's saying. But I'm, I want to know, and I think our mob associates want to know, what, where do you prefer we get them from? What benefits you the most as the author?
2: Oh well, you know, um, you know, if you buy them from a store, really anywhere. But if you want to encourage people to get them locally, you know, you can find them it's it's kind of weird you know they're in a lot of cvs's in the area uh, there which i didn't even know until somebody told me that's cool uh you know mill creek park has them uh the butler the historical society in downtown youngstown nice and that's a good Uh,
0: reason for people to go out and also enjoy those places yeah we love
1: the historical Society, the butler all all the places mentioned exactly support your local venues support your local businesses um, they're supporting you know us, our authors and everybody else. so support them and, and get get your book locally if you can. You know, um, if you're out of town, if you moved out of town, yeah, Amazon is easy. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can pick it up anywhere. So check that out, guys. There's so much information. Um, if you're into our show, you're gonna be into the stuff that's in his books. Yeah, sure. You know, it's the same it's the same kind of um, historical nature. So they're great books. Check them out um, and, and come out to our show, or our, our lecture series in july and you know we'd love to say hi we'd love to meet you so we're gonna get out of here uh anything you want to share with our our mob associates before you go
2: well i know i i think we had a lot of different notes there (laughs) yeah
1: and it goes by quick we you could tell you know right away your kindred spirit and how you oh just you know talk about this stuff with passion and, and it's it's years and years of research um so, you know, Sean, thank you for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate and it. We
0: appreciate yeah. it. Oh, absolutely. And
1: we'll, we'll have to do another one soon. Um, and, and, of course, we want to thank our sponsors. Um, without them, you know, these shows aren't possible as well. So a big shout-out to Youngstown Tile uh, for Spectacular Flooring. Go bold, go local, go Youngstown Tile. Uh, the River Rock at the Amp. That's at the Warren Amphitheater. There's some great concert series all summer long. Check out uh, all the shows at the River Rock at the Amp. And, of course, the Sunrise Inn of Warren, before you go see a show, make sure you get out there and you, you get some good food at the Sunrise Inn, uh, a, a great local spot that also has some great mob history itself. Yeah. Um, we, you know, we always talk about uh, that in previous episodes of Mob Talk. But, you know, again, thank you to our sponsors, and thank you once again, Sean, for coming. Uh, Johnny Ciccatelli for Jimmy Naples and Youngstown Mob Talk. Ciao. That was an amazing podcast from an amazing podcast company. To watch with video, check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Company. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to leave us a review. It goes a long way in helping other people find our amazing content. For more, visit our website at www.amazingpodco.com.